Welcome to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Long talk. I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I did old uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back, I guess. It's the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. They have salvaged the show. The good folks at Viola Cummings and Lindsay, three offices in Niagara Falls, Lockport, and Williamsville, by the way. They have resurrected the Tim Graham Show. So who we are coming back, heading into week five. We're here for the football season, through the Super Bowl. Whatever's left of it. At least. Yeah, let's yeah, let's see if we can navigate this minefield. <laughs> the smoldering crater that is the Buffalo Bills season already. <laughs> but there's stuff going on. There are things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen's development, LaShawn McCoy's legal proceedings, whether or not the Bills should trade him by the October 30th NFL trade deadline. Oh, wow. Buffalo Sabres season starting tomorrow night. They open with four games at home. And the Boston Bruins in town for the season opener on Thursday night. Joe Yurden of The Athletic is going to be in to talk about that. I'm here, of course, with my co-host, the big crooked, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Crooked Rodak. Rodak. Jonah Bronstein of the Buffalo News is here. He's handling things on Facebook Live for the show. And you're going to be able to check that out throughout the course of the season. Bobby Rosati producing things, bringing back all kinds of audio, new intros. It's good to get the band back together. I know, right? After the long summer. We're going to be joined later by former Buffalo Bills center Eric Wood. He's going to give us his thoughts on the Bills season so far. He's going to be in town to lead the charge. The Bills play the Tennessee Titans on Sunday at New Era Field. And uh, Joel Staniszewski, our good pal. We're going to talk some betting now that uh, you know it's it's getting more and more accessible, easier to bet on these NFL games. So Joel Staniszewski is going to be here. But just want to give a shout out again. I want to thank the folks at uh, Viola Cummings and Lindsay, and uh, they're going to be sponsoring this show. Without them, it wouldn't be back. They're your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call two eight five nine five five five. They're on the web at violacummingslindsay.com, and that's Lindsay with an A, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. There are multiple ways to spell Lindsay. I don't want you going to some other Lindsay, <laughs> and uh, who knows where that website's going to take you. Oh, boy. They're on Twitter at VCL Niagara. Check that out. By the way, I looked. They had 11 followers. It's a, it's a, the account is... Uh, Idle? Yeah. So let's, uh, let's pump up those uh, Twitter followers for people who are bringing back Strong sports radio content to Western New York. So, where do things stand here with the Bills? One and three, of course. You can take a look at the standings and see exactly what their status is, their circumstance. This is not a playoff team, even though they did capture our imaginations in Minneapolis with that stunning blowout victory over the heavily favored Vikings. Josh Allen played, you know, actually – he didn't really play much different than you would expect Tyrod Taylor to play. Two rushing touchdowns. He threw for one passing. Uh, he had one touchdown through the air. Uh, he did hit a couple of big plays, but it was mostly because of yards after the catch. 
the Chris Ivory catch and run. The Jason Kroom touchdown when he was wide open. Right. I mean. Yeah, he seems to like him, too. The hurdle over Anthony Barr really, I think, was, uh, <laughs> and I guess pun intended, because I could stop myself from saying it if I wanted to, <laughs> but that jump over Anthony Barr was over the top. Ah. In terms of the way Bills fans saw that, it was a highlight reel run. Their Twitter account took hold of it. The same as the Superman dive for the pylon for his first rushing touchdown. So, yeah, there were things to get excited by, but everybody, oh. Sports Radio 1270, the fans own Jerry Sullivan writing a column at the Maven saying that he's the heir to Jim Kelly, just like that, which is something you generally don't hear from Jerry Sullivan. (laughs) But Sully went went right there, and then... The game in Green Bay happens, and uh, now we're back to wondering what Josh Allen is going to become, and that's what we're going to get from a rookie quarterback. So, Mike, you're there every day. You're there in the locker room today talking to the guys. Uh, You're asking the probing questions. Uh, What's your general assessment of the Buffalo Bills heading into Week 5 against the Titans? I think they are much closer to – what they were in their three losses than what they were in the Vikings game. With that said, I'm not sure they're the worst team in the league. I think the Cardinals still have that title and they'll hold it, but this is a team that has been outscored by an average of 14 points per game. Uh, That's the worst over the first four games since the start of the 2010 season when they were being outscored by 16 points a game. And Indeed, this is the worst start for the Bills since 2010 when they were 1-3. and So... Look, I think there is an increasing amount of, I don't want to say conflict, but perhaps confusion is the word, over what exactly this season is about. Because we came into it with, I think, some expectation that you know maybe they would be able to creep back up to where they were last year as a 500 team, a team on the fringe of the playoffs because of their defense. It's a fairly experienced defense. They spent money on the defense this offseason. They had a high draft pick on the defense. And they still had what we thought was a good running game. And that's the formula that got them there last year. And I think that was the expectation going into the year. Well, now I think we're, we're seeing a shift in tone from Sean McDermott as we've gotten into – we've gotten through the first month of the season – now it's well, you not know. the quarter pole, by the way. Right, and I not the quarter pole. I Let have, me stress, please, because you see it all over the place. People False. talking about the NFL at the quarter pole. The quarter pole is a horse racing term that means there's a quarter mile remaining in the race. Right. The quarter pole does not mean we are one fourth into the season. Pet peeve of you and me, and so I'm glad we're on the same page. We're not there. at the quarter pole, but we're seeing a shift in tone from Sean McDermott where. Monday, for instance, he's saying, yes, our goal this season is to win, sure, but it's also to develop our young players. And he keeps referring to this as a young team. That's not really true. Yes, it's true that they have a young quarterback. They're young at some key positions. They have a young middle linebacker. They're young in in some respects at, I guess, you know, the secondary with, with Tredavious White in there, but... They're not a young team. They're one of the oldest teams in the league. And LaShawn McCoy today even, when we asked him about McDermott's comments about the rebuild, said, you know, our our goal is to win. And that was his understanding of this season. And he said, we don't have a young team. He said, we have an older team, especially on defense. 
And it's true. We point to guys like Lorenzo Alexander and, and Kyle Williams and I mean Starla Talele's been around the league for a while. Trent Murphy's been around the league. Jerry Hughes is a ten year veteran at this point. I mean, this is not a team that should be in, in full rebuild mode given that reality, but it seems like we're trending more in that direction. Well, LaShawn McCoy, twenty nine touches so far through three games. And I'm saying three games because he missed the third game, which was uh, in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. in which the Bills won easily. They didn't need him that day. He was uh, out with the rib injury. But 29 touches in three games. He's never had fewer than 40 touches through three games. That includes his rookie season when he was a part-time player. He he did not come into the league as a superstar, uh, of course. He had to earn his way. Uh, 85 rushing yards. He's never had fewer than 140 through three games. So the Bills are not using him. He's a highly paid player. Uh, he is an asset. I wonder if the Bills trade him before the October 30th deadline. Brandon Bean has shown that he will do that. Uh, yes. He is not afraid to make a trade. He's made uh, probably more trades uh, than than most uh, general managers because the NFL isn't known as a league where you do a lot of trading. But Brandon Bean reminds me more of a baseball GM or a hockey GM. He goes in there and he'll wheel and deal. But, but, well, maybe this is the reason why the Bills want to trade him too. Could LaShawn McCoy be facing a four-game suspension at the start of next season? Or more. I mean, four or is more. Just an arbitrary Depends on what's happening because right. this. His off-the-field ordeal keeps evolving, and it is not looking better for him as it evolves. It continues to look worse. So, Mike, what's what's the latest with LaShawn McCoy? And uh, he was asked about this today. We're going to have some audio from that later on in the show. Uh, he was asked about it today, but just what's your latest? I know you've had the documents. You've been going over them on your laptop here before the show. Some new allegations uh, from... Uh, his ex-girlfriend, his ex-fiance. Right. So originally this was all, this entire situation started with that home invasion on July 10th. His ex-girlfriend, who was still living in his house in Atlanta where he was not living, she was attacked. She was robbed of jewelry that she later said he asked back. There was nothing else that was taken. Uh, The circumstances in her eyes dictated McCoy being involved. So there's the investigation from the police into that, which is still ongoing. They said a couple weeks ago that he has not cooperated with that. She's put out a reward looking for that. And That's, even though, and through this, yes. as you say, as we're talking about this thread of the right. of the story, the Bills have been encouraged so far, just in general with this. And I think that they got some, uh, some favorable feedback from the NFL based on what we talked to the Bills when we asked both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott about right. it on the first day of training camp at St. John Fisher. They said that they believe that LaShawn McCoy is here with the team and that his status is not going to change. Now, we keep learning there have been additional allegations and documents right. filed uh, as it goes on. But just to your point about the NFL, the NFL told Pro Football Talk two weeks ago that they have not even begun their investigation, that they according to their policy, do not want to interfere with police investigations. Therefore, theirs will not begin until the police investigation ends. So, And we know and, that the NFL can act totally right. independently of law enforcement. Correct. So even if the law enforcement uh, in Georgia decides, all right, we don't have enough to go with a case here, uh, right. we are unable to unearth anything, the NFL at some point in March, right. in June of next year can say right. we still feel that there was conduct detrimental to the NFL and 
we're going to punish LaShawn McCoy. Right. Which obviously keeps his trade value with a huge asterisk. But there's really no evidence right now that the NFL or the Bills have done any extensive investigation into this other than talking to LaShawn McCoy. There's no evidence that even Delicia Cordon, his ex-girlfriend, who was the subject of, of this attack, the victim in this right. attack, she said the NFL has not contacted her. And But the latest allegations right. are what? So, again, there, that's that's the first branch of it, but there's the police investigation, then there's the civil lawsuit, which Cordon has filed filed a month ago, two months ago at this point, and in, in that she alleged initially that he abused his son and that he abused his dog. The initial lawsuit did not claim that he physically abused her. But then you had the affidavit that came out from the mother of the child, which supported the allegation of child abuse. And then you had the press conference two weeks ago where Delicia Cordon says other women have contacted her. And I, the attorney told me there's four or five other women who have said uh, women, women who have claimed physical the abuse. The way you say it sounds like woman. Like Stewie yeah. Griffin. Women. Woman. Women is plural of woman. Yeah. Correct. So there's other women who claim women. that there's physical abuse. Women. 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 W-I-M-I-N. Women, yes. Women who have claimed physical abuse. But still, we had not had any claim that LaShawn McCoy physically abused Delicia Cordon until yesterday. That's when their amended lawsuit came out, uh, was filed in court yesterday, where there's an additional paragraph, essentially, that was added to it that now uh, claims that during the 2017 NFL offseason, defendant McCoy became physically abusive to the plaintiff, meaning Cordon, his ex-girlfriend. McCoy is extremely strong and was heavy-handed. He would often grab plaintiff in a manner that was painful and would leave plaintiff's skin reddened. Uh, McCoy once physically kicked plaintiff out of bed, and then it explains later why this has not come out yet. She said because she truly loved McCoy and she believed that he truly loved her, plaintiffs sought to make their relationship work despite the fact that McCoy was physically abusive to her. Plaintiff did not want to cause hurt or damage to McCoy's reputation as a professional football player, and she never revealed the alarming realities of being in a relationship with McCoy before filing the instant litigation. So essentially her argument is, yes, this is new. I haven't said this before, but it's because I didn't want to hurt him. So that's... You know, believe that, I guess, to the extent that you want to, um, why this is coming out now and not months ago. But there's another paragraph in here where she adds more details about the dog. On one occasion, McCoy beat his dog so badly upon plaintiff's belief the dog's ribs had broken. Whenever plaintiff expressed concern about McCoy beating his dog, he would turn his anger against the plaintiff, often grabbing plaintiff and hurting her. So that's an additional allegation there that was not in the original lawsuit. So essentially now, in addition to the allegation that McCoy was involved in the home invasion, planning it and plotting it, there's also I mean, the dog beating the dog and beating the child. Those have been existing allegations. Now we have essentially a fourth allegation that he was physically abusive towards his ex-girlfriend and potentially other women as well if they do come forward as they have to Delicia Cordon. So there, again, is a lot more. All sorts of elements. And you know, it makes it seem difficult to, when we talk about these types of allegations, and again, they're being made uh, in a civil suit. 
There are a lot of people out there that are going to believe it's just a gold digger. Uh, there are going to be people who are automatically believe um, the accuser. There are going to people be people out there who are more upset about the dog part of it than than what he's accused of doing to uh, Delicia Corden. Uh, people, I mean, these this is uh, this is the type of allegation allegations that are just uh, highly sensitive in, in so many different ways, and it really makes it silly in some ways to talk about football in the fact that he only has 85 rushing yards and 29 touches. Um, of course, this is the Tim Graham show is supposed to be a sports show, although we are now sponsored by Viola Cummings and Lindsay. It's not the legal hour, uh, <laughs> but it seems though, when we talk about sports these days, that is what we're getting into. You know, it's so much of the, uh, you know, this side of sports and uh, the stuff that causes headaches all throughout an organization because uh, the Buffalo Bills need to know that they can count on. LaShawn McCoy to perform for them on a week-to-week basis or to or another team or the, one of the other 31 teams out there in the NFL that say, you know what, if the Bills aren't going to be able to use LaShawn McCoy right now, we'll trade for him, but is he going to get suspended? I don't know. So the Bills are really handcuffed here with this situation. And by all accounts, they're still standing by him. Mm-hmm. Sean McDermott gets asked about this on pretty much a weekly basis uh, when as these updates happen. Where do the Bills stand right now? Uh, LaShawn McCoy has said that uh, after the allegations of a week or two weeks ago that the new the new ones that came out, that he immediately goes to Terry Pagula and explains himself. Uh, so uh, the Bills are at least comfortable enough to keep putting him on the field, dressing him up in their uniform, and sending him out there. So it's um, – but anyways, but you, I have a hard time, though – I mean, what do you talk about with LaShawn McCoy? Do we, does talking right. about football – dismiss these allegations that are out there and we have the things going on with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and so many other aspects of with Bill Cosby or whatever I mean it's we're surrounded by it it just makes it hard to want to talk about football with LaShawn McCoy yeah and it's not obviously the first time you look at the Zeke Elliott situation and Adrian Peterson and Ray Rice there's this has happened to a lot of players and in all instances I mean the NFL handled it in different ways each time and it's slightly different circumstances but Eventually, the NFL has come down on all of those players. In some cases, it was very quickly, and it was, um, you know, putting on a player on the exempt list and, and waiting until there was some resolution before they even made official discipline. In some cases, they waited. So, in all right, this case, they're waiting. We're late to a break, Mike, and we're going to get into that more as the show goes on. Uh, we'll ask Eric Wood about it. You know, Eric Wood, uh, who's been writing some columns for The Athletic, uh, he's coming in to lead the charge against the Tennessee Titans. Maybe he wants to wait until he gets that under his belt and moves on before he speaks too critically of what's going on with the Buffalo Bills. But he knows LaShawn McCoy, and uh, he can talk, at least from a standpoint of being a teammate and in that locker room, how you handle these situations. He played in the league for a decade, and um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get his thoughts on what's going on with the Bills. But when we come back uh, from this break, uh, we're going to talk to Joe Yurden of The Athletic. We're going to get into the Buffalo Sabres uh, season, which is opening tomorrow night at Key Bank Center against the Bruins. And they named a captain today. And we're going to talk about that and more on the Tim Graham Show, sponsored by Viola Cummings & Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. I'm going to read that again. 
Please do. Don't do him a disservice. Read that again. I almost said your birch told injury attorneys. Well. <laughs> Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or go to the web and see them there at violacummingsandlindsay.com. And that's Lindsay, S-A-Y. Twitter at VCL Niagara. Joe Yurden's here from The Athletic. He covers the Sabres for us. Hi, Tim. You know, I didn't identify myself as Tim Graham of The Athletic because since this oh, show's been on, I've had a... I've had a change. Yeah, people probably know that. If they're if they if they're listening to the show, I'm saying that yeah, they, if you're true. such a bill if you're such a Bills fan or Sabres fan or somebody who follows the media so closely that you're listening to my show, you probably know that I haven't been at the Buffalo News for a few months. So, the last time the show was on, it was a Buffalo News production. But here we are on Sports Radio 1270, the Fan, with the big crooked Mike Rodak. He's back. And Joe Yurden. So, Joe. Oh. <laughs> Was my mic not up? That's okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. I can shout. I can do that. Joe, what do you uh, think of Jack Eichel as captain? Yay or nay? It's, it's a big yay because it's been a long time coming, honestly. It's, I mean, a long time in the time is a flat circle way of looking at time. I mean, he, this, this is his fourth season, and it's felt like he was going to be the captain for probably the last three. Like, everybody felt this was going to be coming eventually. And I think all last year, everybody was like, all right, let's go. It's his time, especially when it was a year ago today, he signed an eight-year, $80 million contract. What a of, year ago today. What of the questions, though, regarding Jack Eichel and his body language and the fact that he's often frustrated and... Um, seems to be put off by the idea of having to answer questions uh, when things are tough. Well, they, many of the players were that way sure. uh, last season. Uh, what have you seen different this uh, offseason and preseason, if anything, in that regard and in the attitude of the team? Well, I'd say the beauty of preseason is that the games don't count. So everybody's a little bit more easygoing. Everybody's not stressed out yet. Everybody's feeling good. Everybody's excited. And there's a positive buzz about the Sabres this year. Like, there are a lot of people's dark horse team to make the playoffs. And, you know, and it's not just people in Buffalo saying that. It's, it's national folks thinking, looking at it, breaking down the roster and going, can these guys do it? Can these guys get back to the playoffs right away? I mean, you know, part of that's Rasmus Dahlin and how great he's going to be. And another part of that is Jack Eichel finally taking that step, finally having – the healthy season, you know, hopefully that his ankles don't don't crumble underneath him in some freak manner, you know, stepping in a pothole or, or, you know, some other kind of insane thing where he just gets hurt. And he has that 80-90 pushing 100-point season possibly. Now, 100-point seasons don't, don't happen the way they used to. But his attitude has been different. His attitude has been rather captainly. He's been really good with the media. I think a lot of the, you know, the, the negative – is he getting some mentoring somewhere in that regard? Uh, has this come along organically, or do you think somebody has helped him and sat him down and said, "Look, we need we need better. I we need better." And I don't just mean um, better from a 
from an organizational standpoint, mm. if you're going to be our captain and if you want these players to follow you, you're going to have to be a captain for everybody in this room, not just a certain handful of guys. I think it's that all are your buddies. Yeah, I think it's all those things. I think it's it's partially coming from from uh, you know from outside, from you know whether it's friends or family or or the administrate you know the executive administration of the Sabers saying like, listen, you're you're our guy. Make no mistake, you're our guy. You have to take the lead. You have to be. You got to be the one in charge. Or or it's and it's also a part of kind of clearing out the room a little bit. You know, you you trade Ryan O'Reilly out, who you know that's a big personality. He's a guy who has a big effect on that room. And you know, you you have him, and then you have Kyle Pozo, and you have Josh Georges, and you had you know you had Brian Gianta, and these were older players who their words, and their action, you know, whether it's their actions on the ice or their actions off the ice, carry a lot of effect on on everybody else in the room. Well, you know, Josh Georges is gone. Uh, they trade Ryan O'Reilly. Kyle Opozo is very is very cool with just kind of falling in line and saying, you know, I can lead. You don't have to throw a letter on me, but you know, I, I can lead. I mean, Granny's going to wear an A this year. That's that's fine. But you you clear out some of these other big voices, these other big personalities in the room, and now Jack is the personality. Not to say that he didn't have it before, but now he's now he's the lead dog without a doubt. And now he has these other guys in the room looking to him, you know, and it's not just, you know, old BU buddies or other guys that he's played with in Boston or Or the guys who are roughly his age. Yeah. But like these are, you know, it's guys like McCabe and guys like Darlene and and even guys like Bogosian where, you know, Bogosian's a little older than him, has more of that experience. And even still, they're looking at Jack saying like, you know, listen, I can only do so much. You're the guy that's got to set set that example for. And I think it takes time for guys to learn that that's their role on the team. I mean, he's 21 going on 22. He's been the, you know, he's been the crown prince basically since he was drafted. And now it's now it's time to own that. And I think that I think it's finally it's finally realized on him that this is the time to to take charge. And he's showing it right now. Now, granted, that could change that attitude could change if they fall into like a 6-7 game losing streak at some point and things start to look like how they've gone the last couple of years, not to say that they will. But if that happens, I think that's the first test to see how he handles it, how he takes charge, and how the rest of the room falls in line. Let me explore something with you regarding Jack Eichel. Not necessarily about him as a captain or a leader, but just something that I sense. And it's clearly from a distance. Mm -hmm. I'm not in that dressing room like you are, Joe. Um, I'm rarely in that dressing room. And I will, as in my role at, at The Athletic, I will be there more often, and I'm looking forward to that. But as of right now, I cannot even remotely begin to tell you that I know what's going on in that dressing room. But something that I do feel or sense uh, within Western New York among Sabres fans and maybe organizationally from the people that I do talk to, Pagulas and whatnot, uh, Pagula Sports and Entertainment, I mean, not Terry and Kim. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin brings with him a universal or a unifying aspect to him. There was no tank for Rasmus Dahlin. And the reason I mention that is I've always gotten a sense with Jack Eichel, not him, although the way he's acted has fueled this a little bit, that there have been a segment of fans and media because of the tank and because they were so dug in on their feelings on the tank that were rooting against Jack Eichel or were being extra critical of Jack Eichel because they expected more, that if we had to go through this pain and we develop these scars, then we need this. 
And so I think there are some Sabres fans who, yeah, they're happy they have Jack Eichel, but there's still some resentment about how he got here, some things like that. Still mm-hmm. not sure. Whereas Rasmus Dahlin comes in, and everybody can love Rasmus Dahlin. I don't know where you if, if you understand where I'm getting at there, but yeah. it's almost like, okay, now we have this really great player, and it can really help us get over the hump of exercising these psychological demons of having to rationalize my my feelings for Jack Eichel because of how we got him. And now this team's maybe coming together. He's done his penance. Jack Eichel has yeah. in his first three seasons, and now we have a team that's that we that that we can get behind and maybe have some some energy from a fan base. I I think that says a lot to the power of actually hitting rock bottom. You know, you could argue yes. you could argue that it's not a it wasn't a fake rock bottom. No, that was a real rock bottom. That was that they was earned one, rock bottom last year. <laughs> that that was a rock bottom where fans tuned out on them in November. You know, when when the losses start to pile up, they get out they get out of the gate bad. And they're they they're not playing fun hockey. They're not you know they're not losing games six to five. They're losing them two to one. And you say you know say whatever you will about two to one games and how you know it's a good defensive effort. Those were that was never the case for for the Sabers. You know there was never the defense was never playing that good where it was an aw shucks two to one game. That never the case. They went stretches where they would never score goals. So last year it was rock bottom. All right, well this is where it is. What next? You know, where do you turn? And at that point, you're saying, well, and it it's winning the lottery when you don't expect to, even though they had the worst record. And you're thinking like, well, everybody else always wins the lottery. These guys don't. They've already lost the lottery twice when they had the worst record. And you could argue that it's because they did it under less than less than auspicious ways, which feeds into what you're talking about, where you know you can't feel good about Sam Reinhart because, well, there was a better guy that went a pick ahead of him in Aaron Eckblad. You can't feel good about Jack Eichel because they lost on purpose and they didn't even get the guy that they really wanted to get in Connor McDavid. You, you know, there's and the year they things. didn't lose on purpose and Austin Matthews right. comes out. Yeah, so it's right. Like- so, you know... They, there's you know there's that where it looks like they're climbing out of the they're climbing out of the toilet and then you know they do okay they get to pick eighth and then yeah Austin Matthews is the guy and then he winds up in Toronto so and then that spurs the arguments of well if all three of those guys are in the draft together McDavid Eichel and Matthews does Eichel even go number two anymore it becomes a thing where the negative is always stressed and in this case Rasmus Dahlin is you know be it because he's from Sweden be it because he's a defenseman and franchise defensemen elite franchise defensemen are so rare to get in the draft that it turned into like this special set of stars aligning where you can say well he's a really nice kid you know he's the most like unassuming kid you'd ever talk to I mean you've you've spoken to him so you know what he's like but he's just he just wants to play hockey he wants to do his job he's like the most he's he's so ideal in how he acts you almost think that he's that he's not of this earth. So you start thinking, okay, well, he's too sweet and nice and great, and he's going to be, wait, he's going to be our cornerstone for the next who knows how long? Wow. I hope that works out. I hope that works so it goes good for him, and then the things will go good for the team. So it turns the tide with the, with the mindset because from the moment they won that lottery, everybody knew who the number one pick was going to be, but nobody in Buffalo thought, he was going to be the guy. He was here for the whole World Juniors. He was the best defenseman at the World Juniors. Yeah, Darlene is a guy you can feel good about in every aspect of it. Yeah. And How I mean, you got him, 
yeah, who he projects to be with Eichel, you still had, yeah, he's great, but geez, yeah, and and how much how much farther did it put us back? You know, the idea of uh, a team that was losing on purpose mm-hmm. and whatever residual effect it was left over from the guys who carried over from that season to Jack Eichel's rookie season and how it didn't work out. And right. then, the, like I said, the resentment. There's a lot of resentment around Jack Eichel that Jack Eichel has nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. So, um, But it's great, though, because like this kid, he's going to be able to afford the time and the opportunity to, to make mistakes and learn on the job because it is a different game. You know, playing 200 by 100 foot rank where you can slow things down and take it easy, you don't get to do that in the NHL where you take away that, that extra that 15 feet. Things change, and he's got to play at a faster pace, but it's probably going to take him, what, maybe 10 games to figure that out? The other thing, too, is that as a defenseman, even though he is an offensively skilled defenseman, I think he's going to get a little bit more rope because people, when it comes to defensemen, at least you know, with the exception of the casual fan who doesn't pay that much attention right. to the sport, you don't he shouldn't have to score goals or come up with a ton of assists. Like mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be near the top of... Uh, the team and scoring like somebody like a Jack Eichel does. As soon as he comes right. to the team, it's like, well, why doesn't he have 40 goals this year? Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, Rasmus Dahlin at the middle of the season has four goals, that's okay. Yeah. You know, I the, mean, the he, pressure of having to produce on the score sheet shouldn't be there for him. Yeah. And I even mean, though he probably will be on the score oh, sheet. Absolutely. I mean, we look at how Rasmus Ristolainen's played here the last few years, and there's a lot to be said about you know whether you think it's good or bad, but he's been a pretty steady 40-point-a-year guy. And you're thinking, well, Darlene, what, what level is he going to be on? And you start, you start looking around at the guys like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson and, and Drew Doughty's and like these guys, and you start thinking, whoa, the Sabres have a guy that's going to be in that, that <laughs> echelon? Right. The Sabres have never had a guy that in that echelon on defense. I mean, they've had tons of great forwards through their history. They've had great goaltending out the wazoo. They've never had a defenseman like this before, or a guy where you can say, well, he might score 80 points one year. He might be he might be a 75, 70 to 80-point guy. That's nuts for defensemen. You don't I, get forwards here that score that. I remember seeing, and we got to take a break here, but just uh, as we head into the break, uh, seeing the list of all-time, the all-time great Sabres defenseman ranked uh, mm-hmm. a few months ago when uh, Darlene got uh, drafted, and I thought to myself, good Lord. <laughs> you know, you don't think about it until you see the all-time greats. Yeah. And as much as I loved Hendrik to Linder, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it doesn't quite match up. Yeah, the uh, Rhett Warner was on there or whoever. Everybody but Jason Woolley, I think, was on that list. <laughs> Poor Jason. One of my all-time favorite Sabres, by the way. Hell of a player in the playoffs. He was? Jason Woolley was. Yeah. Clutch. All right, we need to hit a break. I'm late for it. Uh, we're going to come back. More from Joe Yurden of The Athletic. More from the big crooked Mike Rodak. Some more Bills talk. Maybe we'll even talk about Tom Wilson. Got a suspension handed down from the NHL today. We'll talk uh, about that and tell you how many games it is when we come back here on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. You can get them on Twitter at VCL Niagara. You'd do it if you knew it was good for you. <laughs> Back here in the studio with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Joe Yurden of The Athletic. Crooked Rodak. Jonah Bronstein from the Buffalo News is here on hand, and uh, we're having some technological difficulties, but we're fighting through it. 
We've been gone for a few months. What's a few months? Though? What's that supposed to be, Bobby? That was Bobby Rosati oh, no. just oh, giving no. us a bong hit <laughs> sound effect for some reason. Would you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, one of those questions. What I'm supposed to say? Well, oh, never heard of it. Come on, I'm above that sort of thing. Yeah, I know. I know what that is. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't inhale. <laughs> like that. Do we have any Kavanaugh drops? No, I got. I got to get a couple of those because it, it's with the new system. I can put a lot in here. So okay, I got a lot of a lot of room. Good, good, good. So this is kind of like our preseason warm up. Yeah, you know we're uh, we have the reads from Viola Cummings and Lindsay. We're going to be getting some more ads to add to the uh, uh, to put in the uh, rotation. Uh, our Facebook Live is going to be uh, sharp and uh, something to reckon with come next week. Maybe we'll have different people in the studio. We'll find out. This is kind of like a this maiden voyage. Is uh, We're learning a lot today. Who knows? Dust off the cobwebs. That's right. It's what we're doing. <laughs> That's why I'm happy for – hey, look, I said it at the beginning of the show. I'll say it again. Viola Cummings and Lindsay – resurrected this show it wasn't going to exist without them surprised they let us back on air and uh they made it happen so great for them to help uh sponsor local radio programming yeah local sports radio content coming Mm -hmm. at (laughs) you and the tim graham show is back so tom wilson one of the dirtiest mofos in hockey 20 games. Is that enough? People are saying, thank God the NHL is finally doing something about Tom Wilson. I don't think it's enough. And you know why it's not enough? It's the NHL's fault why it's not enough. because they haven't done anything. And in the NHL, it's like Russian stacking dolls. You can't do one without the, you know, there's a step. There's a graduate. You have to graduate. And they haven't gotten to 20 yet. The next one will be the one that I guess he deserves, but then it'll be one more hit. Joe Yurden of The Athletic. See, what do you I, think? I'm too ingrained in how the NHL does things. You know, I you know I write for the league for five years, so I'm I'm still shaking off. Are you allowed to be critical here? Oh yeah, bring it. <laughs> I can, <laughs> the gloves I, are off. Going from NBC to the NHL, the CCM gloves are off. That's like seven or eight years of kind of biting your tongue on stuff. But this is something where this is his fourth suspension in the last calendar year. Think about that. He was last suspended in the playoffs where, you know, games pile up where you say, well, one game is basically like three games. You know, if we suspend one guy for one game, that's like we're really throwing the book at you. And that's stupid because, okay, so the stakes are higher, but if you're still acting like a moron, you should still get punished for those games. It's And, you know, it's the same thing that happens with the, with some of these preseason games. You know, the, um, you know, the player gets uh, sucker punched. In a game, you know, Aaron Ekblad gets sucker punched by a guy in a game, and uh, it was Max Domi. Go figure, ties ties kid, sucker punches a guy in the first preseason game. He gets suspended for the rest of the preseason. Well, whoop de do, you don't get paid for the preseason. Right, doing you a favor. Yeah, <laughs> take some rest. It's like, hey, you get to skate, you get to practice, you get to do all that stuff, but you don't have to play any of these stupid games where guys are getting hurt. Unlike the NFL, where uh, the Browns receiver, who were we talking was about, was it Corey Coleman? 
or uh, Antonio Callaway. Antonio Callaway, who got in trouble, and so what Hugh Jackson of the Browns did was made him play every snap yeah. of the game. Yeah, it's like you're being. We're going to punish you by making you play. Yeah, oh I mean that's that's the best thing to do. You got to you got to tell Max Domi like, hey buddy, you're playing every single game. Every, Sorry. How about every shift? We're going to double shift you. <laughs> you got to play 24 minutes a night, or else. Or else we're going to start taking your money. But in this case, with Wilson, I mean, this is—it's dumb on so many. It's dumb on every level because it's the last Caps preseason game. So you should—I mean, a lot of teams will roll out the, the lineup they think is going to start the season because this is their one chance to get a look at it because they won't do it at any other point in the preseason because they got to get a look at the rookies. They got to—you know—they can only play so many guys. So for the last game, they want to get the actual lineup out there. Well, okay, fine. But he's taking a run at a guy, you know, a player named Oscar Sundquist, who's, you know, cutting across the middle of the ice, which every, every former player will tell you, don't do that. If you do that, you're going to get smoked. That's what happens. Old school, you know, that's how, that's how life goes. And, you know, we've heard that enough from, from everybody. And that's not the right way to look at it. Like, okay, yeah, sure. But it's also the preseason. If it's the regular season and you're going to be an idiot and you're just going to cut across the ice without thinking somebody's going to be there to take you out, okay. I mean, you're going to get hit probably. But when you watch the video, and they, they highlighted this in the suspension video, he targets his head. He target, you know, he's, he's flying across the ice to make a humongous hit. In a game that counts for nothing against the team that even the Caps, they're only going to see the Blues twice in a season. And you're Tom Wilson. You have a giant checkered history in which you've been suspended before this three times in the past year. And he's gotten away with murder other times where they either fine him or they don't do anything. And they say, all right, well, we're going to get you this time 20 games. So they go, they go the full Rafi Torres with him. You know, remember Rafi Torres with his checkered history with the Coyotes yeah. and and the Canucks, where he just went, you know, just running after everybody until they finally gave him twenty games, and he appealed it and he got it knocked back. So is Tom Wilson going to get his twenty games knocked back? I it could be. I think you should, if you appeal, you might get games added onto it. That, That'll stop automatic uh, appeals. You know, send what? it to an arbiter, and the arbiter yeah. looks at it and says, you know what. It, it, it's actually not fair to the other. The, this type of penalty has gotten more in the past. You're going to get no. We're going to tack on twenty. We're going to make it twenty four games. Right. But this is. I mean, this is the, the classic NHL. I mean, think back to geez, the what was it? The eighties, early nineties with Dale Hunter on Pierre Turgeon in the playoffs. Mm. Turgeon scores a game winner, celebrating. They're going nuts on Long Island. Dale Hunter flattens Turgeon into the glass. Yeah. He gets suspended for the rest of the playoffs and like for twenty games in the in the season. Well, Capitals got eliminated, so there were no more playoff games. Right, but he gets he gets sit, sat down for twenty games, and he ruined Pierre Turgeon from that point on. And per, Turgeon wasn't the same player after that. And he was a great player. Let's get into more Sabers here before we hit the break. Uh, in the next few minutes, uh, we talked about Jack Eichel and the captaincy and the feelings around the team, and it, maybe it's becoming a team that you want to root for. Uh, more excitement, obviously, heading yeah. into the season. What sh- what should Sabres fans, through the eyes of Joe Yurden of The Athletic, what should Sabres fans expect? Not what should they hope for or whatever, right. but what is reasonable for 2018-2019? This is a team that's going to be – they're going to be the middle of the pack in the division, which is – I mean, it's helped out. The top end of the division is evil, hard. Toronto, Tampa, Boston, they're all going to be really good. The bottom end of the division is gross. 
Ottawa, I mean, they, they've gutted their team. They're, they're awful. Montreal is a disaster again. And Detroit is, they, they, they've got a couple of guys starting, their, starting off with their team this year that I needed to look up to know who, who they were. So Detroit's not going to be terribly good. You know, they just lose their captain. But Mike Rodak's beloved Boston Bruins. They're going like to be very their, good. Okay. They're going to be, the Bruins are going to be a very good team. But this Sabres team's in a funny spot because it's going to be them and, and the Florida Panthers right in the middle, maybe competing for a wild card spot because I, I don't think, I don't think any of the, either of them is going to make a run at the top three, which the top three gets you in the playoffs. And then you're competing against everybody else who isn't in the top three in the other division for a wild card spot. I think the Sabres are going to be in that spot where they're going to be looking at things break right, they can do it. They can absolutely have a shot at the playoffs because they're going to play very fast. They haven't let up on the gas at all. Like They're going to play very fast. I want to see what happens when they get hit in the mouth. They're going to get hit in the mouth opening night by Boston. I mean, whether you know how Boston on the second or back-to-back game, doesn't matter. Boston's good. So it's a great test to get right off the hop because – you're going to get one of the best teams in the East, and you're going to say, all right, well, this preseason stuff's over. Let's see what we got here. And you just got to go for it. And How much better should the defense be? It's going to be better automatically. Just by adding Darlene, they're going to be, they're going to be better. Um, but the, I think with the speed that they're going to play at, with how quick, how much better the decision-making has been. And you know what? The, the vet guys they got in the O'Reilly deal make them a, a deeper team. So I think they're going to be, they're going to be better. They have more depth throughout the organization. I mean, they, they sent Gooley and Nylander down, and both those guys, I think if they played the way they did this training camp the past two years, they would have made the, the team out of camp. But they don't have to this year because they're stressing, even though they're not saying the word process, that's what it's all about. They're, they're getting these kids developed, and they're going to get them in there. But it's going to help out later in the year when the games get a little bit more important. Every game of the Panthers is going to be like a playoff game during the season because they have to beat them. You got to get your points out of those guys because you got to think the top three is going to take their points out of you. You got to get your points out of the bottom three teams in the division. They're going to be fun. I think they're going to be a lot more fun. They got to score more goals, but I I, I don't see a way that they're going to score less. It'd be impossible to score less. <laughs> um, but they're going to score a lot more. They're going to be a lot more fun. It's going to fall a lot on Carter Hutton's shoulders, though, as it always does. The goaltending is always the thing. But if he plays it all like he did last year, they're going to be a very strong team. And, you know, you add guys like Jeff Skinner to that team, they're going to score a bunch. Are we predicting playoffs, Joe Yurden? They're Classic Bills term, they're going to be in the hunt. They're going to be, they're going to be in the hunt all year, which I know in hockey, like, everybody's in the hunt, ideally. But they're going to be in that spot where we get down to March. March and maybe even into those handful of games in April, they're going to be right there knocking on the door. You know, one of the great things for so many years, up until, say, the past five or six, is that whenever the Bills were bad, the Sabres were good. Mm. Whenever the Sabres were bad, it seemed like the Bills had a good enough season that Mm. winter in western New York, you could at least cope because one or the other was doing well. And then for the last five, six years, I guess, they've both been miserable wouldn't it be nice if that we could at least get back to that cycle where one of the teams could take care of us? Be nice. Be nice to have something to look forward to and just that instead of the doom and gloom that it's been since basically I moved here. So my bad, I caused it all. But it's- Hey, my first day at the Buffalo News when I moved here from Las Vegas was the Monday after home run throwback. And that also would have been six months after no goal. So the Western New York sports fan was a – 
was just living the high life yeah. at that point. You know, there were people lined up uh, on the on the skyway, ready to jump <laughs> off, pretty much. But uh, and I'm trying to think if there was and UB football was Music City America awful. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, throwback. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Home run throwback. That was the name of the, that's what the play was called. Oh, okay. I mean, you did get in right. here just in time for the ascent of Baby Joe Macy. <laughs> that's right. I got here for that. And Reggie Witherspoon to be hired as UB basketball coach. It was the beginning of an era there. Russ Brandon had been hired maybe two years before that. Uh, you were here for that? Yeah. I don't remember a press release on that. Oh, well, you missed out. All right. We need to hit a break. Got to queue up glory days. Now that we have a, a sponsor, uh, we do have to hit the brakes yeah. a little more regularly yeah. than we did previously on the Tim Graham show when yeah. it was just free form and we just <laughs> blow right through the, the top of the hour. Uh Okay, when we come back, we're going to hear from former Buffalo Bills center Eric Wood. Uh, we're going to talk about the state of the Buffalo Bills, where we are here at uh, the three-quarters poll. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I yeah. guess that would be right. <laughs> the opposite of the quarter poll, which is four games left in the season, mm. four games remaining, because the quarter poll is a horse racing term that means right. there's a quarter mile left in the race. Uh, anyways, we'll talk to Eric Wood about what's going on with the Bills. And, of course, more Sabres talk. Uh, we're going to get into some Pat Mahomes discussion. I know that that's a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Some hey, people hey, want to hey. re- – yeah, let's see if we can get some uh, – yeah, let's get some Grover clips <laughs> and uh, and more and much, much more on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Those clips – need context they were funnier they actually were worthwhile jokes but when you just clip them like that it uh it's crazy it's crazy so we're going to be joined in a couple of seconds here by former buffalo bills center eric wood and uh, he's going to talk to us about the buffalo bills what's been going on joined here in studio by the big crooked mike rodak of espn joe yurden of the athletic jonah bronstein's here He's at the Buffalo News these days. Bobby Rosati, our producer extraordinaire, one of the greatest knob diddlers I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, Eric Wood, uh, where have you been watching these games lately? Um, well, the first one in Baltimore, um, I was at the game in Baltimore. Um, and then the next... Not in the rain, week. though. You were in a suite, I'm, ho- I'm hoping. Yeah, we actually had lower-level tickets, and then the day of, I got a hold of the Baltimore ticket guy to get upgraded to some club seats. My buddy said, no, let's just get ponchos and stuff. It's, you know, 100 bucks, whatever. I said, well, here's a, a retirement present to myself to you guys. We're gonna we're all upgraded for the uh, club today. So we watched the first half outside and then um, in the club area, but covered. And then the second half, we watched it. At kind of like a little bar area, so we could watch some other games as well. Fitz was killing it. He was one of my best friends. I had to watch him as well, which is a unique opportunity that I get to watch some other buddies this year. And then um, I've watched every other one just on TV, either at my house or one of them was at a neighbor's house. What's it been like to watch your team, the guys wearing your uniform, and you're not among them anymore? You know, it's tough. And, um, you know, the weirdest moment for me, um, and I think we've talked about this before, Tim, 
is when I saw the guys report back in the spring and they were all dressing their Bills gear, working out, and I, that was like the first time they were all together and I just wasn't there. Um, each time I see it, it probably gets a little bit easier. Um, and I've watched games from Louisville before when I've been hurt and, and been home at the time, rehabbing here. Um, but definitely this year, being healthy, feeling pretty good, and then watching them on TV is a different feeling. But um, I'd imagine it'll just keep getting easier as time goes on. One thing that I ha- I can only imagine, uh, because I didn't play the game, of course, uh, but to see the Bills as they've been performing, particularly on the offensive line, you were not only a starter there, you were a pro bowler, you were a captain. To watch the Bills at 1-3 and three the way they are and to know that maybe you wouldn't be the difference between one and three and four and zero, oh, but you know damn well that you'd be able to help in some way. How I can only imagine that that must be an extra helpless feeling to know that your guys are going out there and you, if if all if not for your neck injury, if you weren't forced to retire, that you know that you'd be able to help them out. How do you rationalize that on a weekly basis? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I could be of some help, but you hit the nail on the head. I don't think. I would be the difference, maybe even winning any of those three games. You know, I'm not saying. I, I know what a star player getting hurt can do to a point spread in Vegas, which isn't a whole lot. Um, having a center out there um, isn't going to isn't going to swing those games a dramatic amount. But uh, you know, it, it 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 is a weird feeling not being able to go in there and fight and try and figure things out with your guys. Um, you know, there's there's some things with Allen that I just wish I was there to help him out with. And, like and what? Just to pour into him. You know, different protection stuff. And, 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 you know, I don't even know Dayball's offense, and, and I get a lot of questions. Who was this sack on? And, and if it was last year's offense, I could, I could tell you almost to a T where every sack came from um, and, and whose responsibility it was, whether it was a guy getting beat or simply, hey, we, we didn't even have that guy accounted for. Uh, although it looks like the – tackle comes off late and lunges at a guy and then everyone says, you know, that was George Mills or Deion Sack. You know, I knew last year, hey, we, we weren't even accounting for that guy in that play. You know, the quarterback's got to beat him. This year, I don't know for a fact, um, but it would have been fun to kind of pour into a young quarterback, especially as talented as Josh is, and help him with protections and um, huddle procedures and snap counts and all that stuff that I really enjoyed. Um, I definitely wish I was a part of. Hey, Eric, uh, Mike Rodak here. Just what's kind of struck me this week with really what Sean said on Monday was, you know, A, their goal is to win this year, but B, and he really stressed this, is that they wanted to develop their young players. So obviously, you know, Josh and, and Edmonds are at the top of that list. And then we talked to uh, the Shady today, and we sort of brought up that that comment from Sean, and Shady says, well, you know, our goal this season is to win. And, in fact, he said, you know, we have an older team on, on defense, especially with Kyle and Renzo and those guys. Uh, whereas Sean makes it, you know, Sean's messaging is that we're a young team. It's only our second year. We're trying to build this thing. As, let's say, you were still playing, you know, as a veteran, as an older guy, what would be going through your mind uh, really at this point in the season, one and three, you, you hear your coach talking about, you know, we want to develop young players this year. That's our goal. 
what would you be thinking, you know, I guess privately? I'm, I'm sure you'd say one thing publicly to us, but privately as a player, what would be going through your mind? Yeah, I would probably have the same thoughts as Shady. You know, both of us came to the league the same year. So in your 10th year, um, you can't be worried about a rebuild and developing young guys and how much cap space the Bills are going to have next year. Because one, you might not be a part of that. And two, you're just getting up in age and you want to win now. And, um, you know, we, we play the Tennessee Titans at home this week, um, a winnable game. I, w- I would be really worried about this week getting to two and three and then seeing where we can go from here and seeing if we can't get a string of victories and get back in this thing. And because uh, it's still so early in the season, you never know how things are going to turn through the year and, um, you know, what's going to happen in the division or the conference. And, and you could get on a run uh, and get hot at the right time. And, and who knows, Josh could just start playing. You know, rookies are going to keep getting better and better and they at, at a higher rate than a guy like Lorenzo or Kyle is going to get better right now. So maybe he hits some strides. Um, maybe some young receivers hit strides and we get on a roll. But I would be really worried about just trying to get a win this week in front of the home fans um, because getting, getting to one and four would obviously – uh, hurt tremendously. Two and three feel, would feel pretty damn good based on what we've seen with our eyes. You yeah. know, especially at one and three. Right. You know that Minnesota game really seems like a fluke almost uh, at this point because they did go back uh, on Sunday in Green Bay to what we felt like we were seeing through the first two weeks. So now we're like, well, maybe what was that Minnesota game? Maybe it doesn't count. Uh, but two and three would feel like a totally new season. It'd feel like a lot better than one and four, especially if you lost at home this week and it's your only home game in five weeks well I mean, one and four is not as good as two and three mike that's what i'm saying i'm but i, I think the gap would be huge <laughs> i think psychologically there's a huge difference there. right well i wanted to yeah add, for sure no go ahead go ahead eric oh, i was just gonna say and i'm sure the percentages of teams over time uh at one and four is extremely low to make the playoffs and not that it raises tremendously at two and three but um i would imagine it's a pretty wide gap we're in conversation with former Bills center Eric Wood, who also writes uh, a column for The Athletic and uh, has been dabbling in some broadcasting. And Maybe before we get off, uh, get off the line with Eric and give us the latest on uh, maybe what his plans are with that, if he has anything to reveal. But uh, I, while we're still talking about the state of the Bills right now, Eric, of course we want to ask you about the offensive line in particular. Uh, you played with uh, most of these guys, uh, and... We're looking at a pace that would that would <laughs> that would be the second most sacks ever in NFL history, uh, behind only uh, Randall Cunningham's second season in the NFL. I think he didn't play a full season as a rookie. I want to say it was some a hundred and some sacks, mm. outrageous uh, number of sacks for uh, Randall Cunningham with the Eagles back in '85. I think it was, but after that, it plummets down to somewhere in the '70s for number two. The Bills on pace for over 80 sacks allowed. Um, how do you get your head around that? I don't even know what question to ask you from there, Eric. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it, my my first thing is um, it's not entirely on the O line. You have a you have a young quarterback. You started a young quarterback in the first game, so they're going to come out quite as fast. Um, teams attack young quarterbacks. They're going to. You, I saw Mike Patton. I actually texted with him a little bit. He gave Josh some different blitz looks, just knowing that maybe you can rattle a rookie quarterback on the run. Um, and, and some of the pressures that I saw uh, broken down on Twitter were were pretty 
pretty awesome pressure, stuff that would have been, I mean, very hard for me to diagnose, you know, a center to even help out at times on those. But, um, you know, so you're seeing different pressures. Um, I would say it's not all on the O-line. Now, they got some different pieces up front, and, and Vlad moved over to the other side. Um, you had a switch at center, which can hurt because your center is your, the leader of your offensive line, and they had the competition through the preseason, and it's hard for there to be a strong voice when there's a competition and then you flip-flop again. Uh, that may have something to do with it, but I'll tell you what, I, I would bet that they, they don't keep this pace. I would imagine that the ball um, will continue to get coming out faster as the year goes on just as Josh gets more and more comfortable. Uh, they'll get more and more comfortable in this offense. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet that we come uh, close to those Randall Cunningham numbers or even I would bet we don't get into the 80s, but um, it has been an issue. And negative plays in the NFL are, are critical, and they kill drives, and it's something they got to improve on. What, Mike, what is it, the pace, 84? 84. 84, yeah. okay. That'll Only be... six times in NFL history mm-hmm. has a team given up 70 sacks. And wow. uh, the record, I was close, 104, and it was Randall Cunningham's second season in the NFL, which was 1986. He was 23 years old, running around for his life back there. Uh, on a... I think uh, – I think... One year with Fitzpatrick, we had like a total of 18 or something. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, which, but I don't know that we had really much more talent than this O-line has, but that goes to show you it was Gailey's, I guess, second year, maybe third, so we were very comfortable in his offense. Sean Coogler, was he the coach then? Uh, no. Joe Dallas Andrews Joe, in yes. Baltimore now. Um, you know, we had... Um, you know, Fred Jackson, who was a, a good blocking running back, but CJ was in there a good amount, and he wasn't, um, you wouldn't put him top um, blocking back in the league by any means. Um, our tackles were Piers and Demetrius Bell, and me, Andy, and either Reinhardt or Urbic. So it wasn't like we had just a list of pro bowlers, but it shows you what being comfortable in an offense um, and a quarterback that can get rid of the ball on time can do. I'm just. I just want to pull up the uh, the stats for that season here before you're off the line here with us, Eric. Yeah, the uh, well, 21 through four games is the most since the 07 Lions. Uh, the 2007 wow. Bills. What was your rookie year, Eric? 2000. And... It wasn't my rookie year. It was either... no. But what was your rookie year? 08? Oh, I'm sorry. It was it was 2009. 2009. Okay. Well, two years before you got there, the Bills gave up 11 sacks. The whole season? The whole season. No, wait. The 2003, it was 11 sacks. 2007 was 12 sacks. 2008 was 14 sacks. Holy smokes. Hmm. And they still couldn't win. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, you're leading the charge, Eric. Uh, Your thoughts on coming back to Buffalo. I know you were here uh, already to uh, accept an award from uh, Brian Mormon's Punt Foundation, but... Uh, what do you expect? You're going to have that number 70 jersey back on. You're going to be in the stadium. Um, it's a chance to, well, you haven't been back really and among the fans uh, in this kind of way since you really weren't able to retire the way you wanted to. Uh, I don't know. Uh, is it? Are we too far beyond that to, 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 for this to have special feelings for you? No, no, we're not too far beyond that. You know, it'll be um, it'll be fun to be back, and, and I'm going to see a lot of familiar faces. We're going to hit our um, 
we had about five restaurants that we would hit on a consistent basis in Buffalo when we were up there. So we're going to knock out as many of those as we can. Barbill, Mulberry, Helios. Um, I'm sure my wife will get donuts at Tim Horton Sunday morning. And, you know, we, we have our list of restaurants. We'll were you a big tree in. guy? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I was and still am a big tree guy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it on this trip. Um, but I know I'm going to be back up for the Monday night game. And there's about, with the crew that's coming in for Thurman's uh, jersey retirement or number retirement, I would say there's a 100% chance we make it to the big tree that weekend. <laughs> and a pretty good chance this weekend, maybe after the game. But um, it's going to be a fun weekend. I, I'm speaking to the rookies on Monday, which I'm looking forward to. Um, and I have a speaking engagement Monday night with some people in the press box. Um I have an autograph signing on Saturday. So I'll be amongst the fans a good amount. Um, but I'm also busy enough where it won't just be a complete uh, – I won't be sitting at the big tree all day Saturday watching college football, which um, I may do on future trips up to Buffalo. Yeah, not, that doesn't sound all that bad, really. I mean, uh, that sounds like a good time to me. Uh, right. The problem is that when people know you're going to be at the big tree – for sure, yeah. That's or not... after a game, because they've been at it for a little bit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. we don't speak from experience. I tell you, well, yeah. Right. yeah, by the time I'm done writing a story at, what is it, uh, nine, nine o'clock, let's yeah. say, and we would go over to the big tree to watch the Sunday night game, and it, it's like a scene out of The Walking Dead in that place. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we would, hit the, we would hit the big tree after some away games on our way back. I lived right over... Um, in the Blaisdell Orchard Park area, so we weren't far from there. And uh, we'd hit the big tree after some away games, kind of on our way home, grab a beer or two, uh, grab some wings. And you're right, some people got there for the 1 o'clock game. We flew, but we, we managed to drive to the airport, fly back. They kept drinking, and by the time we came in, um, win or lose, they were generally pretty excited to see us. <laughs> Probably pretty excited for anything at that point. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, Eric Wood, former Bill Center, he's going to be in town this weekend to lead the charge and do a bunch of other stuff. Uh, if you keep your eyes open based on his schedule, his itinerary that he just gave us, there's a good chance you're going to see the guy. So, Absolutely. Uh, Eric, thanks for coming on the show. It means a lot to me. Uh, the show's first, uh, first time back after several months, and to have you on is, is nice. And uh, it's been great working with you so far at The Athletic. So uh, we're going to be crossing paths a lot. Thanks again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike and Tim. And anytime you guys want me on, just shoot me a text and uh, you know where to find me. All right. Very Thanks, nice Eric. of you. See you on Sunday. Eric Wood, Sounds former good. Buffalo, uh, I almost said former Buffalo News Center. <laughs> I don't <laughs> former think Buffalo Bills Center. You want to go there. I'm used to saying former Buffalo News a lot. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're late for a break. Uh, as we have been, because we've been enjoying ourselves today. Yeah. Back on the saddle. Yeah. We're having good talk. Uh, we're going to hit another segment here, uh, and we're going to, we have some interesting things to bring up. Breaking Bill's news. Yeah. What's, uh, well, a minor transaction. Go ahead and announce it. It's time to work. Go ahead and announce the transaction. They claimed Jordan Phillips off waivers from the Miami Dolphins. Former second round pick, I believe. Defensive tackle. And as... Armando Salguero reports out of Miami, Dolphins beat writer, he was angry about his playing time in Sunday's game, which is why the Dolphins cut him. But according to Salguero, Phillips came off the field angry about take be, about being taken out, F-bombed the coach, Woo. and the coach F-bombed him. Teammates right. tried to defuse. 
Right on. Well, Welcome to Buffalo. <laughs> as your reward, you get to go from Miami to uh, Orchard Park. Ugh. All right. We also have Joel Staniszewski. He's going to give us uh, some trends and some chatter on some betting in the NFL, as he's always been uh, pretty good. Uh, above average. You'd make money if you listen to Joel Staniszewski every week. He helped me out with my NFL picks last year for the Buffalo News and helped me rally from second to last to at least top of the pack or middle of the pack at least. Um, never had to worry about finishing last in the NFL picks <laughs> with the Buffalo News, but uh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. All right. Break time. You're listening to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 and uh, keep listening. Welcome back to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. The law firm in Niagara Falls, with offices in Lockport and Williamsville, that resurrected The Tim Graham Show. Much love to Viola Cummings and Lindsay. You can call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at Viola Cummings and Lindsay. No, 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 no. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. There's no and in the website name. ViolaCummingsLindsay.com. And it's Lindsay. L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. ViolaCummingsLindsay.com. Twitter at VCL Niagara. They brought us back. I feel good. I feel like Lazarus. <laughs> they are Jesus to my Lazarus. It's a good drop. Game ball for you. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> MVP right there. Bobby Rosati, diddling the knobs. He's here with Jonah Bronstein from the Buffalo News. We haven't heard a lot from Jonah today. It's all right. Staring at his rear end. Preseason. <laughs> I got no microphone. I'm also hiding in the corner because I failed on the Facebook Live today. Well, That's all right. We, should. we had a little issue with the Facebook Live. We can't get it oriented the right way, but uh, you just have to lay sideways if you want to watch. That's right. We'll figure it out. We'll get it all. This is it's our first show in months. First show in months. We have new equipment. We have uh, no new talent. No, we actually that's it. That's same, the only new thing we talent. have. Yeah. Joe Yurden from the Athletics here, alongside my. Co-host the big crooked Mike Rodak. I am Tim Graham of the Athletic, and uh, let's talk some bills here. We have Joel Staniszewski coming up at the last segment, but let's talk some bills here. And Joe Yarden brought up a great question during the break: How much goodwill does the Buffalo Bills have here as they plod along through what looks like it's going to be a wretched season? The fact that they made the playoffs last year, what does that buy them? Is that buying Sean McDermott time? How would we feel about Brandon Bean? What would it make us think about Pat Mahomes with his NFL high 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions, who's been sacked five times, by the way, for 11 whole yards? So when he does get sacked, he's getting back towards the line of scrimmage. Uh I don't know. Where I'm just opening it up. Where the fact that the Bills made the playoffs, breaking the playoff slump after 17 years, if not for that, where would we be right now? We'd be keeping score or taking score of all of the moves that have been made around this team since the Sean McDermott era began, which of course the top of that list is 
trading out of the number 10 overall pick in 2017, trading down for Tredavious White, Hoyt, according to the Green Bay Press box announcer on Sunday, and passing up on Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, which I think Bills fans would take either right now. Mahomes obviously being the the Hutter hand and the ambidextrous hand at that rate. He threw lefty at one point on, on Monday night. Um, that's, that's He has a higher passer rating throwing left-handed than Nathan Peterman does throwing right-handed. It's true. And as far as QBR, which is the ESPN QB stat, as we all know, it came out in 2006. There's only been five teams which have started seasons off through four games worse than the Bills have this year. The Bills have a 15.4 QBR on a scale of 0 to 100. Those five teams are the 06 and 08 Raiders with Andrew Walter and Jamarcus Russell. Ooh. The 2010 Panthers with Jimmy Clausen. Yeah. And then the 2011 and 2013 Jaguars with Blaine Gabbert both yeah. years. So that's clearly not company that the Bills want to keep. right there. On the flip side, the QBR posted by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs this year is the best through four games since we began tracking QBR 2006. Slightly better than the New England Patriots in 2007 with Tom Brady, which was a historic offense. But let's not – you can't compare Mahomes. The situations are totally the different. Situations I just want to state different. for the record. I mean, Josh Allen doesn't have Kareem Hunt or Tyreek Hill or he's Travis a Kelsey. And Mahomes is not. Uh, or even you get to Sammy Watkins as the fourth or fifth weapon, whereas Sammy Watkins was Tyrod Taylor's. Like, right. yeah, well, at least he had Sammy Watkins. Uh, there are Reed. first there, yeah. Don't have Andy Reid calling the plays. You right. don't have the offensive line that uh, that the Chiefs have. But. Right, but still, Jonah, would you like to add to the conversation? Well, I was just thinking, you know, how did the Bills? I think you mentioned Mahomes, and it is it isn't fair to compare. But I think you can go back and say, how did they put themselves in a position where they had a coach making the draft day decisions, a lame duck GM, and missed the opportunity to take, whether it was Mahomes or Watson or any other quarterback, just punting on that. And now, yes, they made the playoffs. They got their quarterback. Now that's not a lot of talk. If this was still the playoff drought, there'd be a lot of lamenting that that opportunity passed them by. And I, I just, I, Mike, you follow maybe the other teams in the league a little bit more closer. I can't think of another situation where a team – went into a draft with their lame duck GM and didn't make certain moves because of that. I mean, Buddy Nix, I guess, with the Bills in 2013. But that, I think everybody knew Whaley was making the calls. So I don't know if that changed anything really. But, um, I mean, nothing else comes to mind. There have been GMs who have been fired after the draft. I mean, Dave Gettleman last year. John Dorsey, I think, was fired after the draft at one point with the Chiefs. I think Martin Mayhew might have gotten it from yeah, Detroit. The year Detroit. they drafted Ebron, yep. Eric Ebron. I, think I mean, it's happened long. where they've been fired after the draft, but that was a strange situation. They justified it by saying that was the schedule, basically, of, of the scouts. They didn't want to fire their scouts in the middle of the scouting season and have to start from scratch in January right before the, the Senior Bowl and the Combine and all of that. But at the end of the day – how much input did Doug Whaley and Jim Monis and the rest of that scouting staff really have into that draft? Or is it just Sean McDermott getting a call from Andy Reid saying, you know, we want to we want to trade up into number 10, and, and then Bill's saying, sure. I mean, Matt Fairburn and I from The Athletic had a great debate. I don't even call it a debate. I think we were both in agreement 
would you trade Josh Allen and Tredavious White for Patrick Mahomes? Yes, I think without a doubt, given what we've seen so far. I mean, it's great to have a number one corner, but it's a lot better to have a number one quarterback. And, you know, there's certainly early signs, very early signs, that Josh Allen could be flawed in in being one. So we'll have to see where that leads. Well, it talks about, or it, it speaks to the idea of the supporting cast and how important that is to a quarterback's development early in his career. And the Chiefs did it the right way. And even if Patrick Mahomes isn't working out this year, you still would look back and say, well, at least they did it the right way. They had Alex Smith last year. They kept him stashed on the sidelines. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. You have this um, – you have these teammates around you that are going to help you succeed, whereas the Bills have a quarterback's coach who has only coached receivers in his career. Uh, they bring in a uh, a new offensive coordinator, yes, and he had some success in, in college at, at Alabama. But um, you have LaShawn McCoy, so you have a running game. So it fits that narrative of a young quarterback. If he's got that great running game, he's going to be okay because everybody wants to point to Ben Roethlisberger and how he how how well he was able to develop not throwing the ball uh, almost at all, uh, maybe 10, 15 times a game sometimes while the, while the Steelers kept handing it off to Jerome Bettis back in the day. But they don't have a Jerome Bettis. LaShawn McCoy isn't even that type of running back. Chris Ivory added into the mix. But then the line is just so patchwork and underachieving. And well, I don't, maybe I don't really want to say. Achieving what they're Yeah, maybe they're achieving. Do. Yeah, underachieving. Russell Bodine is one of the worst centers in the NFL last year, and the Bills signed him, which, you know, we can, again, make the scorecard of, of what this team has done. You can look at McDermott's moves last offseason, trading up for Zay Jones in the second round when, I mean, Alvin Kamara was still on the board. Kareem Hunt was still on the board. Cooper Cup. I mean, you can play that game with any draft, but you're, you trade it up for a receiver who just is not getting it done. He has 10 catches this year. Nine of those have come when the Bills have been trailing by 17 points or more. He's been great in garbage time. He has one catch when the game's actually somewhat close. I mean, you look at the rate of of targets per route run when the game is close, it's the lowest in the league among any wide receiver. So he's just out there running routes and not even getting a whiff of the ball uh, because he's not getting separation. That's what he told me last week. I need to get better at getting separation. So, I mean, look, Zay Jones, bad pick right now. And you add in the off off the field stuff uh, last off season. Their free agent moves this year, which were Brandon Bean's doing. You signed two corners. One was Vontae Davis, who you benched even before the whole retirement thing. He goes off and retires. You start Philip Gaines. He was benched. He was a healthy scratch in the game last Sunday. So you signed two corners who the coaching staff has said, we don't want them. We're going to go off and get a guy off the street, Dante Johnson, they, just, they signed on Monday. I mean, A.J. McCarron, you signed him, you trade him for a fifth-round pick. Yeah, sure, the fifth-round pick's valuable, but because of that, you're starting Nathan Peterman in week one. Drafting Nathan Peterman and believing in the guy like he's the second coming of Peyton Manning. Like Sean McDermott did not let that one go until he absolutely had to. Well, you mentioned Gaines being a healthy scratch. He does have the elbow injury. He was, he was on full, the in, he was on the injury report. Participation was not listed. He did not have a game status on Friday, 
which means he was ready to go. Leslie Frazier on Monday said they made a decision they wanted to start Ryan Lewis instead. Right. Trading for Kelvin Benjamin, third and seventh round picks for a guy who has, since he's arrived in Buffalo, has averaged 2.1 catches and 30 yards per game. Part of that's the quarterback. I think everybody out there realizes Kelvin Benjamin is not a number one wide receiver. They're getting incredibly poor production out of their highest paid players. And uh, that let throw Charles Clay in that mix, which is not a Brandon Bean uh, signing. That was a Doug Whaley signing. They got into a bidding war with the Miami Dolphins, who wanted to re-sign Charles Clay. The Bills were uh, insistent that they were going to win that uh, <laughs> signing. Right. Uh, deal, a, deal a blow to a division opponent. Right. Overpaying a guy. And, uh, and he just hasn't worked out. So, yeah, it's uh, making the playoffs really does buy Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean some time. Maybe mm-hmm. even a couple of years. Yeah, think yeah. of how think of just how much all of this would pile up on them now, without without that. The they fan still, base would be done with them. And they still try st- tr- almost screwed it up. The fan year. base would be done with them, and they'd be scared, senseless that they were ruining Josh Allen, which I think a lot of people probably already are feeling. But if you didn't have the playoffs last year, which the Bills backed into, mm-hmm. they got in accidentally, especially after what Sean McDermott did by benching Tyrod Taylor for Nathan Peterman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they almost sabotage themselves. They still find a way to luck into it because Andy Dalton finds Tyler Boyd uh, on a miracle play. Um, yeah, so now they have extra time. And uh, otherwise, everybody would be... How much time do they have, though? It That's seems the like they feel like they have a lot. They're I mean, burning Sean... through their goodwill. I think that because of the dead money situation, right. fans are going to let, let's at least wait and see what they do in free agency next year. Uh, let's see. Uh, Brandon Bean has a blank canvas almost and a lot of money to spend. Let's right. see what happens. It reminds me of the 2015 offseason when, I mean, yeah, they went out and hired Rex, but then they said, oh, we have a ton of money. And they traded for Shady, gave him an extension immediately. Uh, signed Charles Clay. Uh, there was other moves that offseason they made that I'm blanking on, but they went out. That was like the offseason. They threw they a were, bunch of money at Marcel Darius. Right. They they gave him the extension. Uh, there was other signings. All right, that's enough. Last thought, Jonah. They, what do you they got? were trying to load up that year. Well, I was just thinking that before the break, the Bills fans really wanted this, not just making the playoffs last year but feeling like they can believe in a new regime, a young coach, a young general manager that know what they're doing, they're ahead of the curve, and that's what they got. Now, there's a, you hear a lot all through the offseason coming into the season, we got to trust Bean and McDermott, the people that call him Mick Bean, all these moves that they made that got the them in process. the process. The I've process. done it. I've written about it. Capital it, T, capital P. Percy the Harvin. Process. Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin. Three years, $24 million. There, That was a lot of luck and flukiness involved in making the playoffs, but they're getting all that credit. They – Brought the Bills back to whatever prominence the fans wanted it to be, and now they have almost a blank check. Not a blank check, but time to do yeah. whatever else they're going to do next for they're their next They're playing with day. house money. Right. Yeah, And I'm not sure they deserve that, but that's definitely where they are now. Well, we're going to find out how close Joel Staniszewski is to a nervous breakdown. Uh, he's the Bills fan, uh, St. Joe's and Buffalo State grad, who's an odds maker, handicapper, uh, gaming expert. Gambling expert, sorry. I, re- I reverted back to my Nevada residency days when it's not gambling, because that's a bad word out there. It's gaming. Uh, that's that's way more uh, acceptable. Or what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, it's uh, Acceptable works. Yeah, it's not the word I'm looking for, though. I'm... I'm I'm, I'm I'm fading. I'm not you. I'm not in. I'm not in radio show shape right now. I'm fading at the down the home stretch. 
We're going to have Joel Staniszewski on, on the line from Vegas, to give us the uh, the view of the NFL th- uh, from a gambling standpoint. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola, Cummings, and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorney. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola, Cummings, and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. And because of Viola, Cummings, and Lindsay, we're able to bring you once again on the line from Vegas, our good friend Joel Staniszewski. Joel, thanks for coming back. It's a pleasure. Love being here. One of our all-time favorites. Joel, your Buffalo Bills have been double-digit dogs two weeks in a row. They finally come into this game against the Titans as just three-and-a-half-point underdogs. That must feel like they're favored by ten. Yeah, I mean, you're you're going against two teams that were, you know, well-oiled machines, and they everybody expected the Bills to get blown out. When you see a team as a 17-and-a-half or 17-point dog and all the, quote, experts are still taking the point, laying the points, you're just, you think they've lost their mind. That's way too many points. And, of course, the Bills go out there and, and put a whooping on, on Minnesota, and then you know come back down to reality last week against Green Bay, and if you thought that the Bills were going to win outright as a double-digit dog two weeks in a row, you're 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 you've lost your mind. As jo- Joel Staniszewski, and I need to give his background. He's from uh, St. Joe's and Buff State, and he's been out in Vegas for many many years as a odds maker, a handicapper, industry analyst. And so when a team is a 17-point underdog and wins by 22 points, was it? twenty? However many points the Bills won by. Were you pitching like a little Vegas tent? Oh, I was going crazy. I, you have no idea. I, I was going ballistic. It was amazing. Did How much, what did you, did you have any action on that game? Uh, I put a little bit. I know down you on don't the like the. Line. The reason I ask is because I and I need to explain to the audience for if you're listening. For, Joel does not like to bet on the Bills. I do not. Um, I happened to be at the Palms uh, a couple weeks ago, and I put some money on the Bills money line against the Chiefs. Or sorry, against the Chargers. I thought they had a chance, and then after that game, I was like, you know what? Let me do it one more time. Put a couple bucks down, get some good odds because you were getting anywhere from eight to ten to one. Uh, for the, just them to win the game, and it's that you know that old cliche of any given Sunday anybody can beat anybody, and you know luckily it happened. But I did not I did not put anything down against the uh, Packers, and I don't plan on putting anything down on the Bills this week uh, against the Tennessee Titans. Could you see the Bills being uh, favored in any game for the rest of the season? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean lines obviously can can be fluctuated. Tremendously based upon hot streaks, injuries, anything like that. So, I mean, you look at the the Jets off the top of my head, even the Dolphins, who everyone thought was great, and then they crashed back down to reality last week as well. Um, Detroit late home. in the season, that game is Detroit at Detroit late in the season. I will be uh, back in town for that game. My brother, who is from Buffalo, somehow is a fake Lions fan. Uh, so we're going to go to this game. I'm probably going to uh, protect him from all the Bills fans that are going to be throwing things at him, I'm sure, the entire time. Uh, we do have a friendly uh, Ted hot dog wager on that game that I'm looking forward to collecting. But, uh, yeah, the Bills will definitely should definitely be favored a couple of games this year. 
Um, obviously, if they continue to get blown out uh, 22 to nothing or more, I would you know, say that they wouldn't be. What do you make of this? Speaking of Detroit, because you want to, I was just wanted to see where they are this week. They're at home against Green Bay. That's a pick game. So is Detroit, from a betting standpoint, maybe the Bills wouldn't be favored. I know a lot's going to happen, and there could be injuries, and maybe Detroit's or the Bills are down to their third quarterback by that by that game. But Green Bay only a pick 'em against uh, the Lions. Yeah, that that is that is strange to me. That's actually one of the games that I did circle on my 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 schedule that I printed out. Um, it's moved to one uh, one and a half at some places on top for Green Bay. That still seems too small. I mean, obviously, it's a division rivalry. These teams always play each other tough. It's the black and blue division. Um, but, but it seems strange that a team that is so inconsistent, um, like Detroit is, could even be that close of a of a small underdog against anybody, especially what, a team as good as Green Bay. What else stands out to you this week, Joe? Uh, the Patriots, although they are 10-point favorites against the Colts, they're... they're I, I don't see them not covering that. Um, another strange anomaly, I guess, similarly with the um, Lions game, is the Baltimore at Cleveland game. That opened at Baltimore only minus one. Uh, it's moved to three, but still, um, Cleveland is is much better than they were, but they're not in the stratosphere with the Baltimore Ravens quite yet. So you're saying take Baltimore and give the three points? Yes. And uh, well, I'm I'm struggling here to you know the Jets at home against Denver. They're only a, the Jets are favored in that game by a point. Yeah, that's uh, another that's another one that I did circle that seemed odd, and that has moved up to some places as high as two and a half. The Jets, which to me just seems crazy. Well, what do you, uh, from long range standpoint, uh, what, any futures that you run into, or you see things? Uh, here we are now, four games into the season, a quarter of the way in. Um, things are starting to shake out a little bit. At least we're we're learning about these teams. Uh, and futures maybe aren't your thing, but um, what are you seeing? What any anything that's popping out to you when you're making your rounds at the sports books around Las Vegas? I think nothing that really stands out too much. I, I try not to get too involved with futures because uh, you get your money tied up for so long, and you know it's it's kind of a sucker's bet because you're not getting true odds on what these teams and what the value really should be for these teams. Um, so it's just something that I look at and keep an eye on. And I think at this point, you know, at the end of week four is where like the overreactions kind of stop. You know, the Bills, when they lost week one, that's what made them a 17-and-a-half-point or 17-point underdog. Then they won, and then it was a 10-point dog, and then they got blown out. So it's like if there's all this these ebbs and flows of line movement and everybody overreacting. Uh, I think at this point now is where it starts to settle down, and you'll see a lot of lines um, that the game will finish and will be surprisingly very close to the lines. From this point on, you'll see, obviously, there's going to be those anomalies where there's the blowouts or the ties. But for the most part, you'll see a lot of games that will be landing right within a point or two of what the spread is. All right. Well, Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. To summarize, Joel says, uh, take Baltimore and lay the three or three and a half points. Take the Patriots. Go ahead and lay the ten and a half points. And uh, what was it on Denver? You you liked uh, you liked I like Denver. The, I like I like Denver as the road um, do- as the road dog. Yeah. All right. 
in in uh, my final words for the day, uh, today is my mother's birthday. Friday is my father's birthday, and I want to wish them a super happy birthday. And uh, we'll be they'll be enjoying some nice uh, some nice uh, birthday meals. And unfortunately, I will be not enjoying them until I come back in December. Do you think Ma and Pa Stanishevsky are listening to Sports Radio 1270 The Fan right now? Oh, of course. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> well, that's that, that brings our listeners up to three. <laughs> Joel, thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to having you on the show for the rest of the season. It's, uh, it's great to hear you. All right. Take care, guys. All right. That's Joel Stanishevsky on the line from Vegas. Boys, it's been a hell of a show. Thanks for coming in, for rallying together as we uh, brought the show back from the dead, the Lazarus of Sports Radio. And uh, thanks again to the uh, folks at Viola, Cummings, and Lindsay, most notably Viola, Cummings, and Lindsay, those three, those three folks in particular. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, folks. <laughs> Your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com, Twitter at VCL Niagara. For my crooked co-hosts, Mike Rodak, for Joe Yurden of The Athletic, for Jonah Bronstein of The Buffalo News, and our producer, knob diddler extraordinaire Bobby Rosati, I'm Tim Graham. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week, Wednesday, 4 p.m., right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.